Well, I hope you're hungry. Pull up your chair to the table, take out your Bible. Uh, It's delicious. Feeds your faith. I've been fed by this passage all week. Uh, We we went to lunch at one of those Mineiro places where you have all the hot dishes to serve from, and you just can't possibly eat it all. Um, And that's the way I feel when I come to Sunday morning. There's just so much here, and I've been tasting it, and I hope that I can serve it up to you in a way that is uh, nourishing for your faith this week. We're going through 1 Peter, and our series is called uh, Elect Exiles. By the way, if you like the graphics, uh, tell our gestor Douglas how much you like them. He's worked hard on putting these things together and does these PowerPoints every week. So thank you to Douglas for his ministry among us. Uh, Today, well, let's see. We started out talking about elect exiles. Last week, it was born again into a living hope by the grace of God through Jesus. Is this on? Here we go. There we go. See, you need to turn on the, the power. If you're living your Christian life in the flesh, you need to turn on the power. Get the, get the Holy Spirit doing it, and it'll work for you. Uh, obedience to the truth. Sincere love from a pure heart. That comes from verse 22. By the way, I've been doing my study primarily in the English Standard Version, ESV. Uh, It's a serious translation, just like NIV. Slightly different word choices sometimes. A little bit more of a conservative translation philosophy. Uh, But you'll be interested to see some of those differences between ESV and NIV. Verse 22 says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly, from a pure heart. Uh, So that's what I feel is the central verse of this passage, and we're going to go through it verse by verse. In 1974, a group of Christians in Manila, Philippines, were moved by the situation of street children in that huge city. So many kids were living on the streets, sleeping under the bridges, in the trash dumps, that they realized, they were convicted by the Holy Spirit, that if they did nothing, they would be sinning. If they just went to church and took care of their Christian lives without, in some practical way, loving the children that God saw on the street and that He put His love in their hearts for, they would be disobeying the Lord. And so they got together, and through prayer and discussion and following the Scripture, they decided to plan a street kids' camp. And they contracted a bus, they all pulled their money, and they got a bus, and they drove around to different places where these kids were and said, hey, you want to go to camp? And back in 1974, you didn't have anybody's permission or any, there was not any restraint to doing that. Today, you wouldn't be able to do the same thing. But they filled the bus up very quickly, and they called the bus company and said, how much is it for another bus? They told them, and they said, well, we don't have the money, could we pay after the camp? And they said, sure. They sent another bus. They filled that bus up, and they asked for a third one. They filled three buses with over 200 kids, took them to camp for four days. Many of them accepted the Lord and began a discipleship process. And by the grace of God, a famous Filipino singer heard about this and paid for the buses. So that was enough confirmation to start an organization called Action International Ministries, And that's the mission that I get the privilege of directing as international director to this day. So we're completing 50 years of history, uh, loving street kids, widows, orphans, and refugees around the world. Uh, Now we're doing that in 35 countries, and it's just a a great adventure. Uh, But our, our battle cry is, no God, take 
action. Peter is an apostle of action. Peter is a blue-collar worker. He's a fisherman. He doesn't want to just sit around talking about it all day. He wants to get out there and do it. And so if you look through this passage, 1 Peter 1, 13 through 24, uh, right in verse 13, it says, prepare your minds for action. Verse 14, as obedient children. Verse 15 uh, talks about your conduct, holy in all your conduct. Uh, Verse 17, uh, according to each one's deeds, we will be judged. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Verse 18, you've been delivered and ransomed from your futile ways. That's conduct. That's action. This is about what you do and not just what you say. And of course, verse 22, by obedience to the truth, Not just knowing the facts, but obeying the truth, we purify our souls. And we're going to talk about what that means uh, a little bit later. Let's go through these verses. Verse 13 starts in my Bible with therefore. What's the question you ask when you see therefore in the Bible? Say it loud. What is it there for? When you see a therefore, you ask, what is it there for? What's the therefore there for? And it's always a point back to what came right before. And we talked about that just a second ago. It's back to born again into a living hope. Last week we talked about the inheritance we have because we are the sons and daughters of the owner of everything. He owns everything. The world is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And we are his sons and daughters, his heirs through Christ of an inheritance. So because of that, therefore... Here's what Peter says, preparing your minds for action. Literally in Greek, this means gird up the loins of your mind. That's pretty graphic, but here's the idea. In Greece, you wore, men wore a long robe, right? Down to the ground, cover up your legs. But when you competed in an athletic event, or when you were at war, or even when you were at work, You pulled up those robes, pushed them through your legs, tied them around the tops of your legs so that you could run, so that you could move around, so that you could work. Uh, It gave me the picture of Peter in the boat when Jesus appeared. Remember, it said he had taken off his clothes, his outer garment, in order to fish. So they'd been fishing all night. Peter was basically fishing in his skivvies, right, in his underwear, because he couldn't move around in that robe. And he actually puts his robe on and dives into the water, which is always a little strange for me, right? Put his robe on and jump in the water. Uh, But that's the idea here. Is your mind prepared for action? Or are you so dressed up to come to church that all you do with your faith is sit around and listen or talk? Peter's saying, get ready to do something with what you believe. Prepare your minds for action. Gird up the loins of your mind because you're about to run with the good news. Being sober-minded. So the idea there is not driving under the influence. Right? Sober-minded. Don't be influenced by the world around you, by the flesh that you're trying to uh, mortify each step of the way, by the devil's temptations. Be sober-minded. Can I just give a quick practical application? Stop watching so much TV. At our house, we never watch TV. We don't watch TV. TV is a direct line of the world's philosophies and message. Yeah, there's a few apples in the dumpster, like my dad used to say, uh, but be sober-minded. 
turn off your phone, your TV, and connect with what God is saying um, so that you can set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the end of verse 13. We are able to set our hope. So here's how you can remember it. Set your hope. Don't let your hope. So easy to just let your heart wander to the next fun thing. Probably it's the weekend, right? Remember when you're going through the week, you're like, okay, what's fun that's coming? Friday night. Oh, good. Friday night. Let's see. One, two, three, four, four days away. I think I can make it to the weekend. So you set your hope on the weekend or you just let your flesh hope in the next fun thing. If you're single, you might be thinking, man, if I could just be married, my life would be wonderful. If you're working hard to get a promotion, you're thinking, if I could make just a little bit more money, then we could go on vacation. Those things are not bad, but they are temporal and they don't carry you through. In fact, I suspect that our depression often comes from misplaced hope. You look in the mirror and you see that all your hair is going and you think you feel sad. You're like, ah, oh, I don't look like I used to look or like I thought I looked. Set your hope, not on temporal things, not on visible things, but on the grace that will be given us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You can set your hope. Have you ever followed your GPS and then suddenly you realize that it's taking way longer to get to your destination than it should and you look and there's another street name and number in Osasco that's the same as the one you were going to. And you're like, wait, my GPS is not set on the right destination. That's an example of misplaced hope. Set your hope on the grace that Jesus will bring you when he comes and you will go the right direction. You will make the right turns. You will say the right words, spend money on the right things and live as he wants you to live. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be given you. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans 8, 5 through 8. Now this is just a good supporting passage. Um, I'll send it to you with the outline early this coming week so that you can compare these things. But I believe that Peter probably heard Paul say this or maybe even read it in the letter to Romans. Uh, this is what Paul says. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. No wonder we don't have life and peace. We set our minds on things of the flesh. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. See, there's the action. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Essentially, we all have to learn to pray Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane, not my will, but thine be done. Not the things I'm hoping in or beyond them to what you are in me and what you will be when you come. Set your hope on Jesus. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance. I love that because it's changing your mind for the transformation of your passions. Don't let your former ignorance squeeze you into its mold. I have six children, Susanna and I do. I've watched them become more and more obedient. You know, children aren't born knowing how to do what they don't want to do. 
They just do whatever they feel like whenever it feels like doing it. Fortunately, all six of my children now know when to use the bathroom. So we don't have to buy any more diapers. That's what he's saying here. As obedient children, grow up into maturity where you don't just do what you feel like or what you used to feel like doing. You do what you know pleases your new father. You're not conformed to your old passions. You know how to say no to yourself and do what your father is pleased by. Grow up. Don't do whatever you want whenever you want to do it. Galatians 5.17, the spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh or the sinful nature, and the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. Therefore, we do not do what we want. So a simple definition of a true believer is someone who wants to do what they don't want to do because it's what Jesus wants them to do. That's the greater work, by the way, that Jesus said we would do. It's turning one, one's soul against your natural desire because you love Jesus so much that you do what you don't want to do because it's what he likes. Don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Verse 15, he, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God has called each person who believes in him. He called you before you called to him. He called you into existence. You wouldn't exist without him. He called us who have been born again out of death into life, out of darkness into his light, out of sin into righteousness. Without his call, we are nothing. And I would suggest that if you don't want to be more holy, it puts his calling on you into question. The one who is truly called by the Father is called to be more and more and more Christ-like. And so your desire, along with your passions of your former ignorance, must grow so that you become more and more holy because you want to grow in Christ-likeness. Look at verse 17. And if you call... See, God calls, but then we have to call too. Romans 10 says, whoever calls, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God's calling you. Have you called back? You've got to call back and say, Jesus, save me. I trust most of you have done that. I'm not sure every one of us has. If you call him as father, that means we are crying out from our soul in the spirit, Abba, Father, save me, help me. Help me with my unbelief. Once we are born of him, we call out to him as his kids. And he's not just our father, verse 17, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. See, if you are his child, born again of the father, you are called to do things. And you will be judged according not only to your salvation, but to your sanctification, what you did with the salvation that Jesus purchased from you. And by the way, there's no jeitinho brasileiro for, for, for people that just because you're a son or a daughter, you don't have to do anything. You do. You're judged by your deeds, by the righteous judge, who is our father, but he is impartial. Because of all that, Verse 17 ends by saying, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Fear of being conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. Fear of offending the all-powerful, almighty 
Father God. If you're a child with a righteous father, I hope there were times when you were afraid to disobey him. That's a father and a mother's job, is to make sure that their children know that there will be consequences for bad words, bad deeds, bad attitudes. Verse 18, knowing, so we do all these deeds to please God, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Now, Peter's talking to Jews, and he's talking about religious activity. He's saying all of the sacrifices and the law cannot get you to the place that Christ gets you. You've been ransomed by the precious blood of the Lamb in a way that doing religious activity would never produce. Good deeds don't pay for bad deeds. Do you know that? Good deeds don't pay for bad deeds. It's really good that you do good deeds. But if you're not in Christ, they are filthy rags. They don't make any difference. You're still a sinner lost and doomed to pay the consequences. If you don't accept Jesus' payment, which is sufficient, no other name under heaven, one mediator, we are saved Uh, ransomed, that is, to verse 19, by the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. There's one mediator between God and sinful people, and that is Jesus. Verse 20, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Jesus did not start living when he was born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus created Mary. Jesus saved Mary. Jesus was there when God said, let there be light. He walked around in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In fact, I think he was the guy who walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Jesus is eternal. Trust him. He was made manifest in the last time, verse 20 still. For the sake of you who through him are believers in God. So Jesus is the door. In fact, Paul says Jesus' body is the door through which we come into knowledge of Christ, through which we come into salvation. Uh, And we see the invisible in the visible manifestation of God, who is God the Son. Infinite, almighty, uh, and uh, and he knows and loves us in ways that we couldn't know without Jesus. Then he continues in verse 20, who raised him from the dead, gave him glory so that our faith and hope are in God. Faith in God's character shown through past actions. We're going to get back to that at the end. Verse 22, we've already looked at, but this is the central idea of this passage. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. See, truth is not something just to be known. It's something to obey. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Obey me. If you keep my commands, you truly love me. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The the truth is something to know personally and then to do. If you don't live by the truth that you proclaim, it means you don't truly believe it. You say it, but you believe what you do. You believe how you live, how you talk, what you do when no one's watching, how you spend your money. That shows what you truly believe. The truth is something to be obeyed. Essentially, salvation is repentance from self-centeredness, receiving of Christ's unconditional love and giving it to each other and the world. Because obedience to the truth has a purpose. 
sincere brotherly love. God is creating a body through us for Christ. So, and then it gives the, the, the straight command, love one another earnestly or fervently from a pure heart, with all your heart, pure of worldly and perishable selfish values. Verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, you cannot stop being saved. The word of God that saves us, which is the gospel, I love the fact that Peter says in verse, uh, well, he goes on in verse 24, uh, the living and abiding word of God for all flesh is like grass and all its glory is the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. This word, Peter says, is the good news that was preached to you. We're talking about the eternal gospel of Christ. It's eternal, and that means you, as a saved son or daughter of Christ, cannot lose your salvation. Once saved, you're always saved. Yes, you'll sin. Yes, you'll wander. We all do. The prodigal son did. He didn't stop being a son. It's eternal. So my mom and dad worked with Wycliffe Bible translators. Essentially, a couple or two single people would go into a village, begin to listen to the strange sounds that the people said, try to write them down phonetically, create an alphabet, a grammar, a dictionary, and then teach those same people how to read their own language for the purpose of getting to Bible translation, to translate the New Testament into every language in the world. The interesting thing is their philosophy was that the Bible would do its work. They didn't, they didn't really start with preaching. In fact, they weren't even allowed to where I was in Colombia because they were there under a scientific educational visa, which meant we're here to study the languages of Colombia. There were 50 of them. And so they would study this language, learn the language, write the language, teach the people to read and write their own language. And then they'd say, hey, there's this really important book that I would like you to be able to read in your own language. Could I help you or would you help me translate it? into your language. And they would choose an influential person in the village, the son of a chief, or someone who had a voice, a younger person, so that they would last a long time. Because they knew that if that word got down in their soul, once they understood the story of grace, it would change them forever. And then that person would build the church within the culture to meet on a Thursday afternoon when no one was fishing under a palm tree or wherever they in their culture would have meetings. What a powerful philosophy of believing that the Word is living and active and does its work. We are saved by the eternal Word of God. I hope that's why you're here. I hope that's why you open your Bible every day. Because the Word comes in and gives us the faith by which we are saved. All right, so we've been through verse by verse. Those are just some thoughts that the Lord gave me this week. It's kind of like going from dish to dish on that Mineiro uh, lunch, Fogulenia, right? Now let's synthesize it a little bit. Here's what the Lord showed me. Two aspects. One is the assumption of what we have, and the other is the command of what we should do because of that. So because we are three things. Number one, ransomed by the blood of the eternal lamb. That's in verses 18 to 21. P Peter is assuming that he is speaking to Elect exiles. He is speaking to people who have assumed that their life has now been purchased by the blood of Jesus and they belong to God. It's past, 
It's done in eternity past. We have been chosen by God and now through faith have been saved forever in Christ. Can someone say hallelujah? Hallelujah, Hallelujah, right? Because we are ransomed by the eternal blood of Christ, uh, born again, through the imper- uh, then second is born again through the imperishable seed. This is in verses 23 and 25. The imperishable seed says that the Bible will never cease to be powerful. The word of God is eternal. It is living. It is active. It does the work for which God sends it. Expose yourself to it and it will change you. Essentially, that's the promises of God that will be true no matter what. All the good promises of God will come true. And if you believe that, if you set your hope on that, you will live differently now, which means being purified by obedience to the truth right now. Because I've been ransomed, and because the word of God is true, or maybe I should do it this way. I've been ransomed for you. It's left to right, right? Been ransomed by the blood of Jesus. I believe that the word of God is true. And so right now I obey that truth and that begins to purify my soul. That's not talking about salvation. It's talking about sanctification. I don't know if you remember Mary Fawcett teaching that the soul is like the body. It has scars. It has disease. It's sick with sin and needs to be purified and sanctified through life as we begin to obey more and more and more constantly the nudgings of the Spirit through the powerful Word of God. You are, your soul is purified by your obedience to the truth. Can you look back and see steps you've taken toward Christ-likeness? I hope so. I hope today you want to be more like Jesus than you did last week or last year because we are being purified by our our obedience to the truth. What does that mean? How do you obey the truth? Number one is believe it. Believe more constantly every day that the truth of God is the truth. The truth of the Bible, the truth of the story of God, the truth of Jesus himself and what he has said. Uh, Hebrews 3 talks about a sinful, unbelieving heart. The unpardonable sin is essentially unbelief. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is saying, no, that's not you, God. I know better. Belief. Say, help me with my unbelief. Believe more deeply, more constantly, more practically. Secondly, turn from your futile ways. Repent. Believe and repent. Stop doing what does not bear fruit. Turn away from the world, from your flesh, from the devil's temptation. And thirdly, obey Jesus. He is the truth. To obey the truth means obey his word. If you keep my commandments, you love me. Whoever loves me keeps my commandments. If you don't keep his commandments, it's my commandments. If you don't keep his commandments, it's logical. Obey the Lord. So now we get to application. Because those things are true, I've been saved by the eternal blood of the Lamb. I believe the eternal promises and active promises of the Word. I obey the truth in the present. Hey, by the way, can you see faith, hope, and love? 1 Corinthians 13, the three great lasting qualities. Faith in what God has done. Hope in what God has said. Love in the moment in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Powerful. You could even put the Trinity in there if you work hard at it. Therefore... Prepare your minds for action. 
what will you do differently this week because of what you hear from the Spirit and from the Word this morning? Get ready. Gird up your loins. Don't live the same way. Don't do the same thing with your time and your money. Change the way you live. Not because works save you, but because you live in Christ and you want to obey the truth. And that obedience purifies your soul. Be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Don't live under the influence of the flesh and the world and the devil. Set your hope fully on coming grace. He says, set your hope fully on the grace you are to receive at the appearing of Jesus, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is that grace? Psalm 16 says it's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. In his presence, we will be fully joyful. If you're seeking joy in temporal things and you're disappointed, that's the truth. They'll always disappoint you. In Christ, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Nothing marring it. Nothing challenging or, or attacking it. There is pleasure forever. See, our problem is we settle for temporary pleasures, right? Quick pleasures. That piece of chocolate cake that the Holy Spirit says, no, don't you eat that. And you say, oh, I just want it. So don't you love that scene in the, the, the Matrix movie? There's this scene where the guy is like eating this steak and he says, I know this is just software, but it sure tastes good. Not real, but he's feeding his face with it. That's all of us. Learn to obey the truth. Wait for fullness of joy and pleasures forever in his presence. Our reward is coming with Jesus. There is a reward for your deeds. How you spend your money either lays up treasure on earth or lays up treasure in heaven. How you spend your time and your thoughts and your words and actions will create for you more hope in heaven or more hope here. Obey the truth. Set your hope fully on him. And of course, there's the new heaven and the new earth. You know, I was thinking about this this week, and I remembered a scene uh, with my dad in his plane. I was about eight, and we're sitting in the middle of a jungle airstrip, ready to take off. The, the, the propeller's going around, the engine's running, and I'm hanging on, ready to take off. And my dad looks at a, a note on his chart, and he reaches up and changes the compass. This is the bussola, right? The compass that's sitting at the front of the plane. It's the way home. It's the way we know how to, where to go. And he pulls a little knob and turns it just a little bit. Daniel's a pilot. He knows what I'm talking about. I said, Dad, what did you do? How do we know how to get home if you're changing our compass? He said, look at my chart. And on the map, there are these curved lines, longitudinal lines of the earth. It shows the curvature of the earth toward the North Pole. That compass is pointing in a magnetic draw toward the North Pole, and it's curved. So if you don't adjust, depending on where you are on the globe, you will lose your way. And he said, here's the lesson. Always do what's written. Don't trust your feelings. Wow. I remembered that this week studying this passage. Set your hope. Don't let your hope. Don't just go with the gravitational flow of whatever your gut is telling you. Set your hope fully on what Jesus says. And when he's coming, that means adjusting your compass. Do not be conformed to former passions. Don't feel like sacrifice is going to get you something. That's what Peter's talking about. But don't feel like your former way of life. You're the passions of the world, the passions of your flesh. Don't let those mold you into somebody 
that you're not in Christ. Be holy in all your conduct. All your conduct should be holy because you are a daughter of the king who is holy and says, be holy like I'm holy. Ephesians 5.1, as dearly beloved children, be imitators of God. Do what God loves. And then finally, conduct yourselves with fear of offending the judge, the righteous judge, during your exile here. I had a, an old friend named Jack Dyer. He was an engineer from Louisiana. He's gone to be with the Lord now. But as we would do mission stuff, he sold all of his possessions in Louisiana, moved to Honduras. So I met him in Honduras, and my brothers and I worked with him. In fact, one of my brothers is still running his mission training center on the north coast of Honduras. He always used to say, you know, we engineers always ask, is water coming out of the end of the pipe? First, I didn't really know what that meant. Like, how does that have to do with theology? But now, it comes back all the time. And here's the question. Does all of this produce sincere, fervent love in your heart? That's the water coming out of the end of this pipe. Because Christ died for me, because his promises are true, I love you right now, whether I like you or not. So you don't have to like somebody to love them. If Christ has loved you when you were still a sinner and laid down his life for you, and then he said, now be like me, that's our calling. And so we need to ask, if I'm not loving, why not? Where is the water leaking out of my theological pipe? How come there's no love at the end? This is what Peter's saying. The whole purpose is for a sincere brotherly love. The reason Christ purchased you is so that you could fill a loveless world with his love. That's why we're here. There's no holiness without this love. God is love. He calls you to be loving like he is loving, and that's what he means when he says be holy. See, we, we have this idea that holiness can be in a cave somewhere where you don't sin. But not loving your brother and sister is probably the, the biggest sin. Without love, we cannot be holy. We are called to holiness. I hope all of you have picked up a copy of our church covenant, especially you who are members of Calvary. Uh, Douglas has printed it out on this page, so we have it in one place. Um, this is what we commit to. Uh, there's one line in the second paragraph that called my attention this week. It says, we promise, as members of Calvary, we promise... By the aid of the Holy Spirit, I'm glad it says that, to forsake the ways of sin and walk together in Christian love and in the paths of righteousness. That's the message. We are committed because Jesus has purchased us to loving well. I want to end with a story of my, one of my sobrinos from Abba. So Susanna and I worked with Abba for 20 years here in Sao Paulo. That's why we were here and why we came to Calvary every Sunday to get reignited with the word. Uh, and Washington came and lived with us when he was about seven uh, in 1999, I think. Uh, lived with us for six or seven years. He had been adopted by a Brazilian couple. And then they had serious problems. His mother was psychologically challenged in many, many ways. She's now passed away. Uh, but Washington, to this day, has scars on the back of his head from things his mother would throw at him as he was running away and being rebellious. And, of course, he didn't stop being rebellious when he came living with us. Uh, just had a very difficult time growing up. Well, 
last week, Washington went online and, got in, and found Abba's Instagram and sent a message to whoever runs Abba's Instagram to say, is Tio Thomas, Tio Thomas, anywhere around? Because I just really need to talk to him. So they sent me his WhatsApp number, and I started messaging him back and, back and forth, and I got to go and visit him on, uh, I think it was Wednesday. Here he is. And here's what I want to tell you. Washington said to me, tell me who taught me Psalm 1. Because he said that piece of the Bible would not let me go. He said, I tried to forget. I tried to be like all my friends. I would go to the balada and I would wake up in the morning and my mind would be reeling through bem-aventurado o homem que não anda segundo conselho dos ímpios. I would look over at my friends who were dealing drugs and their hands full of money and I would hear bem-aventurado aquele que não se senta na roda dos escarnecedores and it would hold on to my soul and I'd say, no, I want to be like them and I'd go, but I could not forget. And he said, I finally realized that my life will not make sense until I walk the way of that word that you planted in my heart 22 years ago. And I can't forget it. And you know what, Chio? He said, I wanted to talk to you because I want to know how to tell that to the kids in my favela. I got to reach them before they get too old so that I can plant the word in their hearts and it will do the work like it did in my heart. Wow, that was so encouraging for me. My friends, the word is living and active. Your obedience to the truth purifies your soul because you obey what Christ has done, what God has said, and you love sincerely right now in the moment. Let's pray. Father God, please continue to finish the work that you have started. I pray for anyone in the, the sound of my voice, whether here physically or online, if they have not submitted to you, to your call, if they have not called out in response to your knocking hand on their door, that they would hear your voice now in Jesus' name and open the door and say, come in and do the work through your spirit and your word so that I will be like you. And I pray for us who have been born again, who perhaps are conformed to our former ignorance, that you would make us more loving by your indwelling spirit, because we've set our hope fully on your coming and believe in your eternal sacrifice for our sins. We do this and we ask this for your glory's sake, in Jesus' powerful name, amen.